and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic here, as always, with the usual suspects. We got Anthony Slater out west, Fred Katz out east. Gentlemen, we got trade deadline week. As we sit here recording, we are, what are we looking at? Uh, T-minus about 27 hours, uh, 26 and a half hours until the deadline. Um, the the crickets continue uh, when it comes to activity. Uh, I'll be honest with you guys. Yesterday, you know, figuring out what I feel like writing, ended up doing a column on the the kind of uh, the Dejounte Murray Lakers possibility that has been looming for months. Um, and while I did enjoy digging in, it was it was admittedly a you know kind of a a direct reflection of the snooze factor on the market to this point. Um, once OG Ananobi went to the Knicks, Fred. Once Pascal Siakam went to Indiana, Terry Rozier to Miami, uh, you know, uh, an ailing Stephen Adams to Houston, we haven't seen much. But I do think um, it's not a, a star-filled uh, market this year, like last year when we had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and fireworks and all the above. But uh, it does feel, I don't know how you guys see it, like there's a lot of scenarios in play. There's a lot of guys around the edges and the margins that are you know potentially going to help teams, and I could see things really ramping up, but I think it'll be a Wednesday morning thing. Um, so with all that, or Thursday morning, I thing, was going to say they yeah, yeah. better start. <laughs> we better go. Yeah, we better go. With all that in mind, before we dive into the topics of the week, we are we're going to go deep on the Knicks. We're going to naturally talk some Lakers, some Warriors, um, and then at the end, do a little fun roundabout game of of uh, kind of different players that might be headed different places. I want your guys' opinions on um, just the pulse of of kind of this trade deadline season moment, and and you know what do you think might lie ahead? Well, if like Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and Terry Rozier had just been traded this week, people would be like, "Oh, it's it's active right now," you know, like "Ooh, ooh what a what a spicy deadline!" Because those are right. three high impact players that went for pretty big prices. Um, they just happened early, so. Um, and then, yeah, I think the star power has been lowered. I don't expect any stunner, um, but, you know, we've been wrong before by Thursday. But, you know, DeJounte Murray is probably the big prize, which I'm sure we'll get into a bigger segment on him. And then it's – isn't it just kind of a bunch of role players that are like, are they worth the protected first? Is it just some seconds? That just kind of seems like what it is. Yeah, that that seems where it's trending right now. And I think right now there are also a lot of teams – kind of what I've, I've gathered in talking to people is there are a lot of teams that are just sort of at a stalemate. And I think there are a lot of teams that are saying, okay, well, we've got this guy, but you're not giving us what we want for him, even though we feel like we probably should trade him. And so we're just going to hold until we get what we want and we'll move forward if we get what we want. I mean, you look around with a lot of the losing teams right now, and that's, that is the vibe that they're giving off to other teams. You know, you look at the Washington Wizards and Tyus Jones is on an expiring contract and, and the vibe that they're giving out is like, they want a first for Tyus Jones. And I don't know if that's posturing that they are willing to keep him and resign him if they don't get it or if it's how they actually feel. And I guess we'll learn that after the deadline in the summer and all that, if they end up holding on to him, but that's what you're getting from a lot of people. You know, our colleague James Edwards just reported that if Detroit doesn't get the asking price that it wants for Alec Burks, who is on an expiring $10 million contract and is an unrestricted free agent in the summer, then Detroit at negative two and 586 is going to hold. That was the record, by the way, is going to hold. The, the play-in is still reachable. <laughs> the play-in is still. No, that that those are insane where it's like, like you said, expiring deal, team going nowhere. But a lot of the people that have been mentioned on the market to me, they do have, like even DeJounte Murray, like he's got an appealing contract still in the offseason where Atlanta, Atlanta really hates what they're getting, even though it seems like a heavy desire by all sides for that to split up. You could wait till the summer. You know what? I was a perfect segue, Slater. I'm going to upend the script a little bit. We are going to jump in the Knicks, uh, I think, in Chapter 2 of the pod. But I do think because Murray is the high-profile name uh, out there right now, and admittedly because I just wrote about him, I want to get you guys to, to weigh in on his situation, not only kind of what might happen, but but what it says about the way things are functioning this year. Um, Fred, you mentioned just teams having a, a certain price tag and not wanting to come off it. So, I mean, Atlanta – is looking for two first. We focus, again, admittedly on the Lakers scenario because of the high-profile nature of it. Everything I got into with LeBron and the way he's been using his voice lately, the crazy trip he had to New York um, that, that, you know, yet again, had everybody kind of decoding what LeBron was trying to say. But as it relates to the Hawks, and Slater, to your point, like, they don't have to do it. 
Um, he's played really well, especially of late, but overall he's had a good year. I looked at it the other day since I think New Year's Eve, he's around 23, five and five. And if you know, you, you hit those thresholds for the season, there's only 11 guys in the league, um, who are you know producing at that kind of a level. Um, sure. He's not a, the kind of fit with Trey young that they had hoped for. Sure. They're fighting for the plan, but you gave up three first and a first round pick swap to get him from San Antonio, you know, uh, under the previous front, uh, front office regime, like the idea of getting one first and, and maybe one pick swap from the Lakers. Also, is if- Sam, you say it was, uh, you know, from the previous front office regime, but I do think the important context is here is that it was kind of part of the new regimes, like, you know, push to power hundred percent. Yeah, and, and so I think they wear that much more as like a, a move they need to uh, legitimize more than you would think. That on, is a very good point. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. I mean, you know, Landry fields, the current GM was there as the second in command at that time, Nick wrestler, the son of owner, Tony wrestler. Um, you know, as I reported last year, it was an advocate for the DeJounte trade. Uh, Travis Schlenk, who was the GM at the time, you know, thought they were paying too much. Yeah, that part has been well chronicled. And so now, yes, it's it's not only maybe trying to justify the price, um, but also on a personal level, like it's funny. I was around the Hawks recently. I think I, I might have said this last week, like the vibe is not this is not like a dude who's banging down the front office's door saying, I hate it here. Let me get out of town. It's not that at all. DeJounte is in a good place. I don't get the sense he's going to be upset if he doesn't get traded. Uh, you know, lately their vibe and their chemistry seems to be pretty good. They almost beat the Clippers the other night after winning three in a row. Uh, again, it, it's I think they, they had a good homestand. I was there for for the Warriors win that they had in overtime, which was right. like, you know, it was a great vibe and they won and they had just beaten the Sun. So, yeah, no, I agree. And also the play in is so forgiving in the East that they're almost guaranteed to at least slip at the play in because just look at the records below them. Um, and you know, they made noise out of the play in last year. If people remember, they actually beat the Heat. Well, that's the that? question. Like, is that this is what's challenging for them, right? Fred, is that like you, you know, I wrote this. Like, you go back to the, the you know, a couple of years back, they make the East, East Finals. It now looks like they just, their vision was off, but they were, you know, pondering title contention at that time and wondering how could we take the next step and we just need to add a guy. DeJounte wasn't that guy, but like getting those assets in a Lakers type deal is not going to right the wrong in the past. It's not even close to what you gave up. And it's going to make you a worse team. If you get Jalen hood Shafino back, you know, D'Angelo Russell that maybe you reroute somewhere else, um, that's not getting it done. You're not going to get Austin Reeves. Uh, I do think, though, it all, for me, kind of leads to this. Um, admitting that I focused on the Lakers because I always find their situation very interesting, you know, lest we forget that DeJounte Murray is available to for consideration for 28 other teams as well. Um, you know, I've heard Brooklyn uh, at different times as a possibility. They're trying to to keep things going out there with Mikhail Bridges. Um, so that, I guess, is, is kind of the asterisk to my column is that, you know, in the next 26 hours, uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if we had a little noise. I think uh, we're going to hear Brooklyn's name come up with basically any guard who's in his prime and has an all-star under his name already. I mean, that's a team that, yeah, maybe they end up trading Royce O'Neal. I don't think they're trying to just give away Dorian Finney-Smith, who's under contract for next year, too. Like they are not a good team. Uh, I don't really know what Spencer Dinwiddie's value is. If he gets traded, I imagine it's more as like a $20 million expiring than because someone is going out of their way to get Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, with 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 Brooklyn, they're, there's something going on there where they're like, we ha- we can't bottom out. They And, and I don't know if it's... Sean Marks, ownership, whatever else. But clearly, they are under some sort of mandate of like, we cannot bottom out. That is not the strategy we're going to take. We're going to save up these other picks we have from other teams and try to flip them elsewhere. And I think we're going to see them get in on any guard who might be available, who they feel like is going to fit next to Mikel Bridges. And and by the way, they're not, they're not really at all listening to offers from Mikel Bridges. Teams who call about Mikel Bridges are just like being shooed away. I, I could I could see other teams getting in on the DeJounte sweepstakes, by the way, ones that are that we haven't heard really anything about who could use an athletic point guard who feel like maybe they could use a little bit of a shakeup in their roster build. I, I could see him ending up, whether it's this deadline or this summer, I could see him ending up with a team that's not one of the regulars that we keep hearing about. I don't think the Knicks are 
really as involved as as some reports have said they are. Uh, I, I don't think there's really been that much contact there. The Lakers are the obvious one, but like I, I could see some other teams coming out of the woodworks for Murray. No, I agree. I agree. Um, let's kind of use that to get into to the team you cover, Fred. Um, that okay, like what you said about Dejounte, I agree with that. The noise about the Knicks has has been overstated. I've heard the same, um, but the Knicks as a whole, Fred, are not only, I mean, I think they've officially gone to the top of the power rankings of, of surprise teams this season. You know what I mean? Like uh, Minnesota's up there. OKC's up there. Um, there's some really good stories, but the Knicks being good is not unexpected. The Knicks being this good is unexpected. And then the Knicks, you know, being, you know, having half their team in the ER, so to speak, and continuing to win games is even more uh, unexpected. Uh, within all that, you know, we, we talk about DeJounte Murray, and follow the thread here, uh, represented by Clutch Sports. LeBron James, another guy represented by Clutch Sports. I, I just, I'll be honest, I'm such a sucker for LeBron's kind of annual power play, annual passive-aggressive games, and his visit to New York when he comes through and just has this absolute, you know, string of social media and, and even in person, you know, kind of coded messaging, the, the hourglass tweet that is, you know, kind of been heard around the basketball world at this point and that he chose not to explain um, the question about his player option for this coming summer that he chose not to address and said he had not thought about um, the choice to walk into the garden wearing sneakers with a colorway that had the Knicks colors on them uh, while yelling at the cameras and saying, Mr. James is in the garden. You know, like that's a choice. Um, talking to Lisa Salter's post game after he, you know, kind of leads a, a victory over the Knicks with a Knicks towel draped over his shoulders, you know, raving about Jalen Brunson. And then, oh, by the way, from a timing standpoint, uh, you know, I think it was Stefan Bondi who had reported first that uh, from the New York Post that that uh, Rich Paul uh, and Leon Rose, their kind of long, icy relationship and the impasse had been fixed, uh, which I had heard that that was the case before, admittedly just hadn't gone down that road. I think that's been fixed for longer than people realize, um, but it matters, right? Because now, from a perception standpoint, uh, whether it's LeBron or any other clutch client, um, it's kind of like that gateway is open again. Uh, all of which is to say, Fred, these are good times for that team you cover. You know, they're not only winning games, but they're they're kind of kissing babies and making old friends again. Um, you know, how do you kind of see all of that? Well, stuff? my first thing that I'm going to say is I have not taken enough psychology classes to be able to break down what is going on in LeBron James's social media and press conferences. I just, I just can't do right. it. I, I have no clue. I will say that the entire sequence kind of gave me 2018 LeBron vibes. Remember those 2018 Cavs leading into the deadline where LeBron, that was the Isaiah Thomas Cavs team, where that team was kind of swandering and it was LeBron and everybody else. And they were like, you're going too far back though, brother. You're going too far back. 2022, he's not real thrilled. And he decides to walk and talk with our Jason Lloyd at Cleveland All-Star Weekend. And, and talk glowingly about his time with the Cavs and how a return could still be in the cards. And next thing you know, he's sitting down with Rich Paul and LeBron and Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka, and they're having to talk about some of this rising tension. It, it, I think we almost lose track at times of how often something like this has happened. They're doing what they feel is best for the franchise. How do you feel about that? I'm doing what's best for my guys in the locker room. Okay. That's all I can worry about. Yeah. Thank you, brother. I'll let y'all... I'll let y'all... I know what the fuck should be happening. Right. I don't need to talk. That's it right there. You're right. It kind of happened last year, too, leading into them making the Westbrook trade yeah. for, for Vanderbilt and all those guys. Yeah, I mean, you're you're completely right. I, I, I will not read into LeBron stuff because I don't think any of us have any idea other than the fact that we know he's not completely pleased with that situation and would like to see changes in some fashion or form. As for the Knicks, they're playing really good ball. The problem is that we not only is so much of their roster hurt, but we have no idea of any of the severity of any of the injuries. Did you guys see Tom? I just want to give people a glimpse of what it is like to cover a coach when he does not want to put out any injury news whatsoever. Did you guys see Tom Thibodeau's pregame? press conference moment where he fielded eight con consecutive questions about the OG and an OB inflammation injury and refused to answer any of them. 
it was honestly, it was a moment I was really proud of. Inflammation is like a symptom. You open listen with inflammation. That's more of a symptom of an injury than an injury. And again, it's that's all medical. Do you expect them not to be longer than just? Uh, I'm not sure. It was a moment I was really proud of where it was, if there was any update on OG or Quentin Grimes beyond tonight, no, not really just trust medical. Are they considered day to day and until they clear them is the medical looking for anything with, with OG just wait and get the reports from them. Is OG participating in shoot arounds? Not really. Is OG going from questionable earlier to out of the game? Nope. It's just medical. It doesn't matter. Inflammation is more of a symptom than an injury. What's the actual injury? Again, it's all medical. This is, this went on for eight questions. Eight questions. We we don't know what the OG Ananobi injury is. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. Jalen Brunson hurt his ankle yesterday. Uh, we're yet to find out any information about that. Josh Hart got hurt in yesterday's game. Yet to find out any information about that. Mitchell Robinson's already out. Isaiah Hartenstein is playing through an Achilles thing right now. Quentin Grimes is out with a knee injury. Uh, if you go through their roster, the top seven guys from opening day are actually not available if Brunson and Hart are going to be out. Uh, obviously, they traded two of them in Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett. But the guy who they traded them for, OG Ananobi, is also out right now. And, and we don't know what the long-term situation is going to be on that. So at some point, look, Tibbs is playing guys tons of minutes. At some point, that's going to catch up to them if it hasn't already. And it kind of has in some cases, like Hart. That's that's an overuse thing. He's talked about it openly. The Hartenstein injury, that's an overuse thing. The rest of them, we don't really know the details. But it's it's very odd to see everybody getting injured just about every other night, and yet for them to keep winning games too, you, even if they almost blew that one yesterday against Memphis. So where does that leave them, uh, do you think, from the trade deadline standpoint um, with you know Leon Rose and World Wide West and Frank Zanin and that whole group figuring out what they want to do with the roster. Um, how do the injuries? Yeah, I should have mentioned there? also Julius Randall has a dislocated shoulder. And, yes, and indeed. we're not a hundred percent sure on the timeline of that one either two to three weeks till reevaluation. And then we'll see. Right. As for the deadline, I don't anticipate them sticking in their heads into anything. That's like a huge deal. But I, I do think the intention is for them to make some kind of trade. The offense really craters with Jalen Brunson off the court especially after they traded away quickly in RJ Barrett, who were so important in their bench units. I know they've, they've, they've really talked with Toronto about Bruce Brown. I could see that being something that happened. I think there's a deal there that makes sense. The Knicks have four protected picks from other teams. They have the Evan Fournier contract. They could do one of those protecteds to Toronto along with Fournier for Bruce Brown. I think that could make sense. I don't know if Toronto is going to want a 2024 first round pick. And I think that's something that's been a theme in the league so far around trade season this year, which is that a lot of teams, because the 2024 draft is considered not a very good one. There are a lot of teams that aren't necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily prioritizing those 2024 picks and considering Toronto might end up with three 20, uh, 2024 picks without even trading for another I could see them wanting a 2025 or beyond while the Knicks are still trying to keep as many future picks as they can because they want to make that star trade this summer. I could see them going after just an Alec Burks type, trying to get him from Detroit. But but something something like that, I think, is the most likely scenario for them if they make a move at all. They, they've been taking offers on Quentin Grimes. I don't know if they've gotten very far on any of those offers also. Man, that Bruce Brown possibility, Slater. I'm curious what you think of that. The idea of of Bruce after getting OG, and this might be a little just, bit of hyperbole, but it, it it makes me think of the Clippers from a defensive wing strength standpoint. Right? I just like, think it's funny that 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 the Raptors and Knicks, uh, the Knicks are suing right. the Raptors yet they just continue <laughs> to make these like big big trades. I don't know. Sorry, continue your analysis. I'm just. It's That's fair. No, it's fair. You know, it's business is business. Later, go watch I, The Godfather. Like you know that. what I mean? Like, you just got to do it. But yeah, Bruce Brown would be a wonderful fit. And you talk defensively, um, that, you know, uh, they, they already are a bit of a terror. I think that would be a, a tremendous move and would make them kind of the trade deadline winners. By the way, um, I mean, Bruce Brown should be desired by like, 10 content, you know, contenders is too strong because there aren't 10 actual contenders probably in the league, but like 10 teams, 10 playoff teams should be 
after Bruce Brown for, and if the price is only a protective first, um, like I said, a lot of teams should be in on that. Guys, real quick, you know, we, we acted like it was slow, like it was never going to heat up, but man, we got huge news here. The Utah Jazz are, uh, are trading Simone Fontecchio to the Detroit Pistons for a 2024 second round pick. So and moving on. So that, you yes. know, the one thing that would tell me though is, uh, you know, Utah, once again, Danny Ainge is not like seeing that they're in the play in mix and playing a little bit over their heads and like, oh, let's chase something down, right? It's still more like stick with the plan. Rotation players are available. Nobody's like, I'm not saying Lori Markinen is suddenly going to be on the move, but um, you know, they, they have, you know, role players, right. The Colin Sexton's of the world, the Kelly Olenek's that uh, would probably Jordan be more Clarkson. available. Yeah. Jordan Clarkson. Um, if, if you're willing to give up some stuff. Yeah. I don't think this is the time for Danny to, to, to swing big, so to speak, but, but man, it seems, you know, I think that's coming, you know, we know how he's wired. We know, kind of his his background in Boston where he was always seemingly on the brink of big deals for so many years um and he's always got his, his kind of hands in it but doesn't always hit the button so to speak but yeah Utah's is another one interesting to uh to keep tracking um Slater let's swing it to your squad brother um yeah. the the Warriors uh you know this is not necessarily trade deadline related because I don't think not to kind of you know steal your thunder I don't think we anticipate Clay Thompson being on the move but, you know, continued struggles for that team. They hit the road. Um, Steph's still playing at an elite level. You know, Jonathan Kaminga taking off and really yeah. looking like he's turning mm-hmm. into something. And, uh, and and then the deadline where you've got so many questions about what directions they might go. Andrew Wiggins, you know, at this point seems pretty clear is, is the guy that is most, you know, kind of likely slash uh, kind of possible to be talked about at least. But, but let's do kind of detour and get your perspective on – what was such an interesting sports moment the other night, you know, you're uh, in that Warriors locker room. Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on what game that was. Who did they, Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, they beat Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, Clay for, for how many times as far as him not closing, was this it two, is of the, the this three? Is, uh, two out of the last three? And really it would have been three of three because he didn't close with Clay in the first half in Atlanta, but then Andrew Wiggins like hurt his foot. Um, so they, they did close with him down the stretch, but it, you know, Steve Kerr's clearly trending this direction. It's, it's three in a row. And then, you know, the one that people forget the, the first one that, that, really ever he he didn't you know he went away from clay thompson and crunch time was in phoenix uh back in december the same night that draymond uh hit nurkic and clay gave a pretty similar post-game interview in the locker room that night about just like the challenges of it and honestly he was more upset that night he was like brooding around on the bench he like hit a cup rack over he was like kind of yelling towards the direction of the coaches when they benched him that night because it was the first time he'd ever dealt with it um but nobody talked about it post game because Draymond was on his way to an indefinite suspension from something else that happened that night. Um, so it's something he's been dealing with really from then, like this kind of trend away. And I mean, you mentioned it. I think you're more talking about just like uh, it seems like it was stark to a lot of people to see, a, you know, an athlete who is open and transparent, by the way, typically in his interviews, uh, dealing with, you know, kind of career mortality. I mean, he's still got years left in the league, but dealing with just fading from from being a guaranteed closing option because he's a, a star in the league and, and he's just not that anymore. Yeah. I mean, the vulnerability is what jumped out, I think to people. And to be honest, I mean, the internet sucks in general, just if we're being honest. So, you know, I, I see vulnerability. A lot of people saw, you know, like acted like it was sad and, and our Mark, Marcus Thompson wrote a great column about clay and basically kind of checked that idea that it was sad. You know, he talked about um, other athletes who have had, you know, uh, much, much tougher declines. My favorite reference was him talking about Jose Canseco batting like 142 in the minor leagues, you know, when he was still trying to hang on. Clay's not there by any means. He's just not having a clay level season. Um, the other part that I honestly loved is that because you talk to clay in the locker room, whereas you guys know, we, we continue to fight for access to be in the locker room and to get these kinds of raw moments because that is where these guys live and, and kind of where they breathe professionally. Um, Clay's choice, to to be honest, uh, as you and and I don't know how many people were there, but Tim Bontemps from ESPN was right next to you. Um, it's it just you got the real perspective from Clay, and then you even had stuff on the side. I, I you know I chuckled like I think a lot of people when Draymond chimes in I, and says, I can, what? "I can set up this game for you if you want." <laughs> yeah, and we can start in Atlanta me. a couple nights before because he goes four and nineteen in the in the Atlanta game, 
And, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, he probably wouldn't have closed if Andrew Wiggins was available, but he did close and he was not good down the stretch. He missed, you know, three shots in overtime and he, his jumper was way off and he was like pretty despondent about his performance, right? I mean, he was probably the reason they lost the game that Steph Curry scored 60 points, you guys probably remember. Uh, and I tried to get him in the locker room that night and I got one question in and he's like, ah, I'm just going to go see my family. Like he just did not want to talk and he kind of bolted from the locker room. And again, he's not going to the podium because he's, you know, the Warriors typically will, who are the stars of the game, will go to the podium. They don't, you know, put the guy that went 4-19, even though it's the bigger story. Uh, he, Even though no Andrew Wiggins in Brooklyn, Steve Kerr just says, forget about it, I'm closing with Guy Santos, which made the story even more wild because this was a guy who, like, honestly, the NBA community probably had never even heard of him. <laughs> Slayer, uh, I looked at the TV and literally was yeah. like, who the hell is that guy in the Warriors jersey? Yeah hustling too and steve kerr was just fist pumping he, got, he compared him it's to like Jay they let Jay. a fan come play for the night i didn't know who uh, he, was. he was running back in transition defense and if a fan <laughs> was doing that steve kerr was putting him in the lineup um so that part was stark obviously and then you know we kind of get in the locker room and i know clay's not going to the podium again and like he hadn't even gone to the shower yet he's still sitting there kind of you know and like the warm-up or whatever you want to call it um and i was like clay can i can i get you for a couple minutes and he just turned and went, I'm an open book, buddy. I'm an open book. And I was like, all right, cool. So, And then I think, you know, other reporters saw like, oh, you know, Clay's about to basically hold like a, a willing presser over here, whatever you want to call it, scrum. Uh, so, I don't know, four or five of us maybe crowded around. And, I mean, people saw the video. Um, it was weird because he, Clay clearly is like willing to like really kind of go down a little bit of a vulnerable road. I hadn't even gotten to the questions about getting benched yet. I was more starting with like the struggles he was under, but Draymond walks out of the shower singing. I get, I didn't even know that that's what he was singing, but it was this Oliver twist show tune. I'm sure we were in New York. I'm sure he like saw it the night before or something like that. Uh, but he's la la da da. You know, they just won. That's the thing. Like he's just he's spinning Fred, out. That's later singing on the pod. Can we get a few more bars, please? I, yes. That wasn't enough. Uh, yeah. Anything or something. I don't know. People can watch the video. Uh, but he turns the corner and he's uh, he sees we're crowding Clay Thompson. He knows what the story is, and he, I, the way I read it, he really wanted to turn the temperature down. Like, hey, this doesn't matter as much. Like, why is the story of the night have to be oh, Clay yeah. Thompson yeah, not yeah. getting benched? They won. I think that's what he's trying to do. Uh, and you guys can hear him basically be like, oh, you know, I got benched in game five of the finals. You know, who who the F cares? But my point to him at the time, and the thing is, like, the press conference or whatever, the scrum stops for a second, and then I start talking to Draymond. And I'm like, I haven't even asked him that yet. That was my like, favorite part. Yeah. And he's like, well, you're going to. I know you're going to. And I'm <laughs> no, like, you, you know said, you, you, I haven't even asked that yet, but I guess I will now. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, well, you were going to. You looked uh, like you were going to. Yeah, and it was just it, that was stark. And then he, by the way, keeps singing Oliver Twist. Right? <laughs> going through this thing, uh, that's so why we that, gotta have locker room. That's locker room, baby. That's yeah, great. no, I agree with you. I, that access I've always thought is better. I wish there was more scrums now. Um, but yeah, I mean, all that to say, I mean, this is just like the place that that not only Clay Thompson's in, but right, doesn't he kind of represent what the dynasty's in right now, right? They they leaped ahead of the Rockets yesterday to get into 11th in the West. And, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of like wondering, like, are they the team of the deadline? Can they, you know, rattle the league with some big move to like, you know, resurrect a dynasty that, that seems to be fading? And like, answer's probably no, very likely no. Um, you know, they're stuck with some of these contracts. They're going to try to chase down a play-in and probably have to try to play their way in through the play-in and make any noise. Uh, but they got a lot of – honestly, the best part of their season, at least internally, is like the growth of the young guys. And it's Kaminga's rise, as you mentioned. Moses Moody's had some moments. Uh, they've had these weirder, you know, situations like the Guy Santos one you mentioned the other night. And, like, that to me is, is, is more important for the franchise over the next couple months is, like, you know, building up some of the youth so they're either – better rotation players next season or better assets to go get Steph Curry older help this summer. But uh, yeah, I, I don't expect Clay Thompson to be moved. We can get into why, um, but uh, yeah. That's yeah, it. I was going to say, just to make sure we give the people what they want yeah. here on trade deadline week, um, give us a breakdown on the Clay and, and why he won't be moved. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, it's $43 million expiring, which is uh, two – reasons that important number one that's like hard to get to right you have to like go find 43 million of like aggregatable contracts that you think is like will help within the rotation and and, and by the way another team is not like beating down their doors to try to get clay so the offers are 
not even very good anyways. Uh, and, and it's valuable to the Warriors, the 43 million expiring, by the way, because like they're trying to get under the second apron this summer and getting clay either from 43 down to 20, if he comes back or 43 down to zero, if he doesn't come back is huge for, for the duck in the apron. Uh, and then the other thing is like, like it is clay Thompson. Like he's going to have a statue out in front of chase center. Sam, you're around, like, you know what he is locally, uh, just as a legend and, and, you know, maybe you need to be a little bit more cold-blooded in business, but I just get the sense from the Warriors that there's no desire to make a to make a move that's really not going to move the needle that much anyways uh, to get a little bit better within their rotation by chopping off the head of a, a statue guy. Well, especially in midseason, in right? Mid-season, that, to me, yes, the yes. important distinction. It's funny, yesterday, <clears throat> friend and colleague uh, Om Youngmasuk had a good piece on ESPN about what it's like for players to get traded midseason, all kinds of anecdotes about, you know, okay, yes, they make a ton of money, but there's a real life component. Their families are uprooted school systems for their kids, you know, sneakers, clothes, all these different things like midseason trades are uh, not real enjoyable for the player uh, to do that to clay and, 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 you know, have him going from a warrior's Jersey to something else. They would be tapping him on the shoulder in an Indianapolis hotel tomorrow and telling Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Steve Curry this, it will like clay's gone as opposed to like, let's say hypothetically not reporting, but like, let's say this summer, they, yeah. uh, you know, they sign a trade scenario something like that. Like you can say, all right, when are we going to go to clay's house to sit on his couch and show him respect and talk to him about how we see the how about this example, Sam? It was basically a month lead up of like, will Draymond Green go or not go this summer? And there was a lot of deep conversations. And Draymond almost went to the Grizzlies. He was talking to me about this the other day, how he almost decided to sign with the Grizzlies. And there was a Steph Curry call in Hawaii where they were like discussing all this. Like there was just so much more, uh, like you said, like debate and and then just like instead hey, of like hey, we got hey were you able to get a southwest flight out of indy to to get I wherever think you gotta direct, go i think yeah. there's a direct to uh, philly right now you know right. you're six or now or whatever that really would have been amazing seeing draymond with with the team that that they and the warriors have talked so much crap back and forth for the last three years that would have been something seeing draymond on the other side of that the only problem is that it wouldn't have been with dylan brooks also, that's true but. That's true. She was one or the other. By the way, a little under the radar, and this is out of left field. Uh, did you guys watch that Pacers Rockets game at all last night? Uh, no. I just I know the Dylan Brooks list of hijinks is very long, so I don't think it even made the rounds on social media. But I happen to notice Tyrese is, is Halliburton, Fred's favorite NBA player, is giving it to Dylan late in the game, and uh, the cameras. I just love when with even my rudimentary lip reading skills come in handy so Tyrese uh hits a shot looks at Dylan Brooks and is just flexing on him basically and Dylan just looks at him and says man you're a bitch <laughs> I like it that'll Dylan do it Brooks. can I can I can I, can I throw something out there right now which is why I've been kind of silent for for a couple minutes yeah. uh we we have a trade yeah. that just happened we have this Montecchio one we have I already said this, Fred. Yeah, we talked about this. We had a wow, great thanks long, for spacing uh, out. 14 seconds. <laughs> we need, on it we was, need, uh, we need to address <laughs> this. We need to address this. If he we says just something about, about Danny Ainge in Utah, if, if he says something about Utah? how Utah, this means Utah is going to like maybe uh, sell some pieces off, then we know he wasn't listening. But Fred, what, if we can't get a, if we can't get a, a co-host to lock in, how are we going to get the just listeners hear me to out. lock in? There's there's something to discuss here. Detroit is sending Washington, the better of Washington's or Memphis's second round pick to Utah for this. That pick, that might be like the 32nd, 33rd pick in the draft. That's a really, really good second rounder. If Fontecchio, and it's just Kevin Knox and the 2024 second. So it's really just salary filler. If if Fontecchio on an expiring, when you're going to have to pay him, in restricted free agency next year, maybe not some ginormous number, but you'll have to pay him whatever the market dictates he's worth. It's not going to be super team friendly in all likelihood. He's probably just going to get what he wor- he's worth fairly. If Fontecchio is commanding basically as good of a second round pick as you're going to get, then I think we're going to start to see maybe first round picks change in value. Like it's going to be hard now for someone who wants to trade to Bruce for Bruce Brown to be like, Okay, well, we don't want to give up a first. I think Toronto's going to be like, well, 
Utah just got like the thir- 31st, 32nd, 33rd pick in the draft coming up for Fontecchio. So like I think I think maybe this is what could push some stuff over the edge for teams to be like, well, well that's what it's dictating now. Why did Detroit make that trade? <laughs> yeah, there's well, that question. They need sense. they need shooting. Lord knows. No, what they, they need is a is a thirty second exactly. draft. They, they should be undergoing a massive I mean, look, I'm, let's just but, base it on 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 James Edwards' reporting that that the Pistons have sixty million in room this well, upcoming yeah. summer and they don't want to use it. They might give it to you. They don't want to use it just to take in bad contracts and get draft picks for it. They tried to do that the last two summers. And for what it's worth, the types of contracts they got in, the draft compensation they got back was not really anything worthwhile. It's not like they were getting firsts. They were taking on like Joe Harris and and getting a second out of it and that kind of stuff. They were taking on Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel and getting a second out of it. Uh, It wasn't really anything that was needle moving to begin with. And they seem like they want to, get better from where they are. Now, I think the most likely scenario is them getting better from where they are, but being like a 20 some odd win team and potentially sacrificing your future in order to just win 20 some odd games. But I think that's why Detroit, Detroit did it. Uh, Fontecchio also, it should be said like second year, he's actually a really quality player. He's a good shooter, good wing, but he's 28. Like he, he, it's not like he's, you know, 22. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, like this trade makes more sense for I don't know a team in the playoffs. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, you want to you want to have a good catch and shoot guy who can help your offense. Maybe play Marcus Sasser more than six seconds a game, who's shooting forty some odd percent from three, and, like- and and is a rookie having a really good year and legitimately looks like he's going to be a player. Maybe maybe play him more than more than sixteen seconds a game. Maybe try that before you give up a really good second round pick. Anyway, I just, I could see that affecting the market to a degree. I don't know what that trade says about Utah. Cause I just feel like that that's really good return for him. That, that trade to me, like I said earlier, says like Utah selling, you know, which is all right, Fred, that was worthy analysis. I, I gave you a hard time, but that was good observations. I, I honestly though wonder if the takeaway isn't that it, it might give the market cold feet. You know what I mean? I mean, what are you going to give up two first for Bruce Brown? Like, uh, you know, it's um, going to change the calculus a little bit and, uh, you know, make me wonder how it impacts things. I want to tie a bow real quick Slater on before we, we kind of get to the tail end of the pot here on the, the Warriors front uh, is Andrew Wiggins going anywhere. I think it's <clears throat> on the table. Uh, the Warriors have certainly had open discussions about him. Um, even going back to, you know, like they were trying to get in on some of the Pascal Siakam trades and like you know you got to have salary filler within that i uh so you know for for a while now the problem for them is uh andrew wiggins value is probably at its lowest it's been um in a while obviously he's having the, the worst season of his career just like statistically uh it's it's year one of a, of a four-year extension and while I, there are some player-for-player player, like package-type trades out there available to the Warriors, I'm not sure any of them would bring in players that would make the Warriors better this season. Then Wiggins, who has been playing better over the last month, is in their starting and closing lineup, has been able to play more with Jonathan Kaminga, which matters because if, if he was blocking Kaminga, I think there would be more of an appetite for the Warriors to trade him. And he was blocking Kaminga for a while, but no longer is. So assuming that they don't, get you know a player for player type trade that that um they haven't to this point um been put at their doorstep i can see them keeping him into the summer and you know maybe revisiting in the summer if he plays better down the stretch and he'll be only have three years left on the deal by the summer um so i'm not ruling it out because again like they're open to it but along with other you know clay thompson chris paul other guys uh, you know that that are potentially on the market for them I just, the offers haven't been very good Right, right. All right. Good stuff. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. All right, Fred, are you with us? We lose you again. I mean, both. I'm with you. You lost me. Yeah. Okay. God bless. What is going on here? You're, you're the boss. Look, Let's go. Sell, this is your like segment my, time. You don't even look my at the teachers. My teachers would always tell me, Fred, you're not a distractor, but you are the distractor. <laughs> Well, distract us with your with your name game here. It's time to play Fred's trade deadline season, trade deadline week name game. What's that the plan here, buddy? Is a terrible name. Fred's trade deadline season, <laughs> trade deadline week name game. Couldn't describe what we're doing less. Uh, okay. I set the bar low so that you could. You uh, set tell the us bar low, and I'll make sure we don't even come close to meeting it. So here's the game on the table, gentlemen. What we're going to do is I am going to name two players whose names have been somewhere trade adjacent, trade out there, however you want to frame it, but have been somewhere mentioned leading up to the trade deadline. I'm going to name two guys, and you guys tell me if you found if you woke up from a coma at 3.01 p.m. on Thursday and you found out. How much is a nap? That's a really long nap. That's too long of a nap, and this game is too dramatic for just a nap. Yeah, Coma's a little serious. That, that's that's personal. All right. If, if you woke up from a twenty-seven hour, if you woke likely. up from a twenty-seven hour unconscious period, however you want to frame it, at three oh one p.m. <laughs> on Thursday, exactly. And I and I told you upon waking up, one of these two guys got traded. You have to say which one would be your first guess. Which one you think is the most likely to get traded? And so I'm going to give okay. two names. Right, and Samuel, I'm hitting you first. We are opening up. With a Bogdanovich, you've been hitting me. This we are opening pop, up man. with a Bogdanovich edition of of this game, whatever you called it before, and we've got Bogdan Bogdanovich and Boyan Bogdanovich. And and I'm picking the guy that I think would Is be on more the move. likely to be on the move. I'm going to go with with Boyan. Um, the Hawks appear, I think, to be leaning towards survival and play in glory and maybe don't trade DeJounte Murray and by proxy don't trade Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, I, although we, you know, with this Detroit trade that we're talking about, I mean, you could say the same for the somewhat delusional perspective that they appear to be operating uh, within, if that makes any sense. Um, Oh, it makes a lot of sense, Sam. It makes a lot of sense uh, because it does seem like he seems definitely like a, should be traded, right? And I right. help a lot of teams. So. And they've shown, you know, that was the case last year in the summer, and, and they've they've held on to him. But if I got to pick, you know, both sides, if we're being real, are, are somewhat delusional. The, the Hawks aren't actually going anywhere. I mean, they were so excited when they beat Miami in the play-in last year and, and gave the Celtics two losses in the first round. But ultimately, you know, it didn't really matter much. It was the same result as the year before, but they're still pushing – the Pistons, I guess this is what happens when you uh, pay your head coach, uh, you know, an exorbitant amount of money. You're, you're going to try to compete. Uh, but, you know, it, I mean, we'll see what the suitors look like, but I would pick Boyan because I think uh, he's a guy that certainly contenders should be coming after. Who's my, who's my threesome? Right. That's a tough one because I think the Bogdanovich one is tough because I know the Hawks like, they're Bogdanovich and he's on a decent contract and Boyan, you would think 
would get traded, but it, it it is akin to what Detroit was doing with Jeremy Grant when he had a year and a half left on his deal and everybody thought, okay, that's a team near the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Naturally, they're going to try to get something for him and they could certainly get something good for him because he's a good player. And he's on a similar contract to what Grant was, about $20 million a year. And Detroit is saying not too important to the core, got to hold on. And then eventually, obviously, Detroit did trade Grant over that summer with a year left on his deal to Portland. And, you know, we know what happened from there. So I wonder what will happen with Bogdanovich. But I, I, it's, it's tough either way, but I thought the last names made it a good one. Next up, Anthony Slater, two point guards, Malcolm Brogdon and Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones, uh, Portland seems to be a little bit more protective of, of their vets, right? They, you know, Jeremy Grant, um, there's been reports out there like how he's not really available. And Malcolm Brogdon's even came out, talked to our Jason quick and was like saying he liked it there. Uh, you know, almost mentoring Scoot Henderson, whereas Washington seems to have stiff prices on some of their vets, but it isn't like, Oh no, we need them around. It's more like, like, you know, please pay us these great prices. And you can definitely have a Kyle Kuzma. Just give us three first rounders or two, whatever. Uh, Tyus Jones saying, you know, I, I, I think he's just a more available. Like I do think both are available, but I think there's more motivation from Washington uh, to, to trade a Tyus Jones. And um, it like, I think he'd help a lot of teams, right? Minnesota profiles is like a, to me, a perfect uh, Tyus Jones team, San Antonio. I know people floated out there as like, you know, get Wemby a better, point guard uh and, and get his trey jones older brother right you know he could have the jones brothers uh so yeah that's my answer as a quick follow slater um you mentioned the quick interview uh, no pun intended uh with malcolm brogdon he had a, a good anecdote in there about how joe crone and the blazers gm in the past couple of trades they've made with guys mid-season that he would typically sit down with that guy and, and let them know kind of what was going on get their perspective on their situation that that's joe's style with players. So it was telling the way that quick framed it in the piece that, that Malcolm shared that like, we have not, that's not the type of dialogue they are having right now. So it seemed to reveal um, a lot of what you're talking about. Sam moving on. All right. Yes, Sam, sir. I'm giving you the Charlotte Hornets edition. Okay. We got miles bridges and Kyle Lowry. And to be clear, Kyle Lowry is technically a member of the Hornets. He's not really on the Hornets. And if they can't find a trade for him, we all have to imagine that they'll work a buyout with him and then he will go sign with a contender after. If if the Hornets hold on to him, cannot find a trade and work a buyout with him, that does not count to this. We're talking specifically who is more likely to be traded. So Kyle Lowry or Miles Bridges? I would go with Miles um there because and i'm cheating and looking at the hornets cap sheet i mean 29 million is a massive number to get to um and it seems like all the chatter about kyle is potentially buyout scenarios that that it will you know eventually reach that point miles man what an uncomfortable calculus to consider you know what i mean like with everything that he has done and the off-court issues um uh but i hate to sound cynical kind of the you know the 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 uh, the other side of humanity never ceases to kind of let me down. I think teams that look for talent and teams that are looking, you know, for some help are going to compartmentalize, um, you know, that aspect of bringing on Miles Bridges. Um, and as the deadline has gotten closer, there has been more and more reporting about teams, you know, showing a little bit more interest. And, and it feels like the type of chatter that, from a PR standpoint, common sense would tell you. That, uh, that, that these teams are trying to keep this stuff quiet most of the time anyway, but I, I could see us being surprised by maybe the level of discussion that had taken place with Miles because you know that's the type of public PR media chatter that you don't want your team attached to in advance because as we know, there's always the, the media slash fan component of this, right? Like if you, if it gets leaked, you know, just to, and this is totally hypothetical in my backyard. If the, you know, the Kings were talking about Miles Bridges, well, then their fan base would weigh in um, immediately publicly on that. Um, so, long winded way of saying that I, I'm curious what those talks have looked like if they've been more extensive than we realize. Um, he's a pretty damn good player. And at the end of the day, that matters. And, 
and Charlotte obviously, uh, you know, I think is is looking to pivot off of him. So we'll and see another another inter- interesting part of the Miles Bridges situation is because he re-signed on the qualifying offer and is an unrestricted free agent after this year. First of all, he's got right of refusal on a trade because he signed the qualifying offer. And on top of that, whoever trades for him, I believe, doesn't get his bird rights, right? So it's not like you can trade for him and then say, okay, we got this. Uh, we're just going to go over the cap and right. resign him. If if you trade for him, it's a, it's, it's, it's a rental or you're banking on the fact that he's going to want to come back for the mid-level or something like that. Or a handshake yeah, deal. For yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and I don't know what his market... I honestly have no idea what his market is going to be like this summer because of all the stuff that you just mentioned, Sam, and, and because of you know everything that's in his past. I, I honestly just... I don't know how the league is going to handle that on top of the fact that a lot of the teams that have cap space are not good teams. Um, you know, For all we know, Detroit is going to use that cap space and just try to get Miles Bridges. He's from Flint, Michigan. Like That's something that could... That could make sense. He's still a young player, but like I don't know what the market is going to be like. That's going to bog down his trade market, though, because a lot of these teams, for example, you know, a team like Phoenix that's way over the second apron, maybe they try to trade for Miles Bridges, but that's not a team that's going to be able to use an exception to re-sign him because they're over the apron. They're just going to have to be able to pay him probably smaller than his basketball abilities would dictate. Uh, Slater, I got. I got one for yep. you. This is the expensive wings on long-term contracts edition. Kyle Kuzma and Andrew Wiggins. We can throw Jeremy. Let's Grant throw Jeremy in there. Grant in there. Let's throw Jeremy Grant in there. Make your pick or rank them. Rank rank those uh, three. I want to hear the ranking of those three. Yeah, uh, I'll go Kuzma, Wiggins, Grant. Um, I just I don't know. Again, I mentioned it earlier on the Tyus Jones. I just think there's more motivation from Washington, and you know it's probably just from location bias for me. Just being around the Warriors situation, I'm just skeptical that that a Wiggins trade is going to materialize. That is good enough for them to, uh, you know, decide to do it. So that's why I have. Slater, what's the level of uh, discontent when it comes to Wiggins and just that Kaminga dynamic and the idea that you know do they need to do something? To, to kind of you know release pressure from well it's it's it the pressure has been released because Draymond Green came back playing really well playing center and unlocked this Wiggins uh, Kuminga lineup that now they play together like Kuminga has been while Wiggins has been playing next to him and playing thirty five minutes thirty nine minutes thirty four minutes like and and there is no more organizational question on like is it him or him like it's Kuminga like Kuminga is like leaped in their pecking order. Uh, into the future. So uh, when it a month ago, when Steve Kerr continued to have to decide, believe he needed to decide between the two because every bit of lineup data said that they stunk on the court together and too often to some people's liking, he would choose Wiggins over Kaminga, including Kaminga's liking as, as was made clear. Um, that is when I felt it was more likely they there might need to be what you're talking about, like oh, like Wiggins just needs to be traded to to, to get him out of Kaminga's way, where he's not really in his way nearly as much anymore. And, and in some ways, like they need big wings. Like when you talk to people with in the Warriors, like you know, what do you need right now? Oh, you know, six foot seven guys who can guard on the perimeter and can hit threes and like help. Like you know what they, they really just need? Need him to play like Wiggins. They need Andrew yeah. Wiggins from the 2022 playoffs. Like that right. that, that would really help their team right now. Right. So, um, you know, you'd be trading Andrew Wiggins to try to get what Andrew Wiggins used to be. And I just believe their hope, even if it's, it's not even deluding, it's just like, you know, it's more likely that he just plays like that than whatever we get for him is not going to be Andrew Wiggins. So, right. And then Jeremy Grant third on that. It just doesn't seem like Portland wants to. Maybe I'm wrong though. Two guys, by the way, um, that, that I, I wonder, I don't have clarity on what the Kings have in the works right now, but. Grant and Kuzma both being guys that have been on the radar before. Kuzma, I think, you know, recently has been something that, that you know, where I hear his name pretty close to the team and seems real, but I don't know how the Wizards are approaching those talks or, or that situation with any team in the league. Um, but just as a as an add-on there, those are two guys I think the Kings would Yeah, worth mentioning on Kuzma too. He's got a decrease in contract, whereas Grant has an increase in contract, and that can be, that can be a big difference for a team that – not even just increasing, like big, big, you know, like huge, big, big, bigger, bigger than Kuzma's. 
bigger than Kuzma's huge deal. Yeah. I mean, Portland is not in a position where they're trying to win now. They're not in a position where they're trying to win next year. Having one really big contract that honestly still isn't even really that close to a max because the max is so expensive. Having one really big contract on your books, if you're not a team that's trying to win, is like fine. It's manageable. They're not going to go into the tax. They would probably have to attach something to the grant deal in order to get them out. They like him in their locker room. They like him as a guy. Like I, I don't see why there would be a trade that would make sense for him today. Maybe a couple years down the line, but I don't see it today. Uh, Amick, let's do yes, sir. a Brooklyn Nets wing edition. And let's go Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, yes. You know, you, these two guys are... are in every single sentence together um lately when it comes to you know coveted role players um i don't man i don't know how to pick between the two um royce I'm gonna say, would be cheaper right royce is cheaper you know i oh man who somebody made a hell of a point the other day about royce and i want to make sure i get this right that you know in this parallel you not parallel universe but in this world where the calves don't continue playing as well as they have. And, and, you know, the gravitational pull of New York city on Donovan Mitchell, um, the relationship between Royce and Donovan was something where someone highlighted, I think it, credit where credits due. I think it was Brian Winhorst who famously had the, uh, the, the meme about Royce and Donovan. And when the jazz were moving him to Brooklyn, um, that dynamic, which I know is in the weeds. The idea was that you wouldn't, uh, let him go. Um, because you know Donovan could be out there on the horizon potentially. Um, that's the closest I have to finding a separator between the two. Although, like Slater said, um, I'm trying to get the contracts in front of me here. Slater, who's more expensive? Finney Smith has has a year left after this one at like 11, I think, and then Royce O'Neal's unrestricted this summer. But I just mean it would probably take less for a team to get Royce O'Neal. Also. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I don't know if that makes him more likely to be traded. Yeah, also, yeah. I mean, he feels like a rental who could help you, um, and, and for a contender. So, I mean, you know, if I got to pick between the two, uh, I guess I'll I'll go with Royce and, and say yeah. goodbye to Donovan. I think I think that's a good one. They're both they're both good winning players who play both sides of the floor. But O'Neal's unrestricted this summer, and Finney Smith has a very team friendly number for next year. And if the Nets are trying to make a big move this summer to hopefully be more competitive next year than they are this year, they can count on Finney Smith being there. And O'Neal, it's just like right. he's unrestricted. You don't, you don't know. And if a team wins 34 games and keeps Royce O'Neal and then loses him for nothing in restricted free agency, when in a market that Simone Fontecchio just got, you know, a, a top 35 pick, you're like, man, that is some that is some asset mismanagement right there. So I, I would say, I would say Royce O'Neal as well. Uh, Slater, we're, we're going to Chicago to keep this one, to wrap this one up. We're going to Chicago and I'm going to give you two guys, one of whom everybody wants and the bulls just don't want to trade. Though. Who's the other? And the other one, to my knowledge, the bulls have absolutely no traction on. And I don't even know if the bulls want to trade or not. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso and DeMar DeRozan. Neither, right? You know, I don't know. It just feels like the Bulls are doing what a lot of these teams are doing that we keep talking about, which is like chase play in glory. The play in it has done so much. Uh, it, it actually has. Maybe we should just talk about that. Like, hasn't the play in like really impacted uh, the deadline a lot? feels like. Uh, but anyway. At least the Bulls are doing it. It's funny. I watched them beat Minnesota. It was, that was yeah, last night, yeah, right? last night, yeah. And you're watching, and it'd be admittedly, it'd been a minute since I locked in and, and watched a Bulls home game when you're kind of taking in the environment. And and this has been a discussion all week long. The idea that that the Bulls, even with their mediocrity, from a business standpoint, don't have the incentive to blow it up because those Bulls fans, you know, thank you to MJ and the six titles. Like they remain rabid and you watch uh, that game. Yeah, they do. How about when they were uh, booing, you know, a widow recently. So yeah, that was, that was, that was untoward. Um, but they, 
you know, that Minnesota game, it's just coming through the television, just how lit that place was. And Caruso is making big plays at the end and, and, uh, and DeMar is, is getting his name called for the, uh, the, the failed game winner in regulation. And, um, it, it was a little bit of a capsule, if you will, of why they are hanging on here. Uh, you know, we know the backstory when Arturis Karnasivis comes from Denver to Chicago and gets a lot of praise early for putting together a team that was making some noise and they have just been floundering since in mediocrity. Um, and, and I'm with you though, that it feels like they will choose to continue doing that. And DeMar is the one for me, not to, to interject here too much, but like, you know, we focus so much on DeJounte Murray, like DeMar's a guy that, that a contender should, and you know, could pivot to that would help. Um, and, and even Fred, I know we've talked offline about, how the Knicks see DeMar. And I get it. Like the Knicks don't want to take the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands. That applies to DeMar. That applies to DeJounte, um, the Lakers, whoever else, man, like my goodness, like DeMar still got a lot left. Uh, you know, I was reading some stuff today about just the analytics on him with the Bulls the last couple of years. He's been helping that team win on a pretty high level whenever they do win. Uh, and, and could help somebody. It is a little strange that there's not more noise. Around, I think the you know, thing with DeMar it. is because of the style of player he is, this is more of a commentary on his style than his quality. Because of the style of player he is, he's someone who's a lot easier to incorporate over an offseason than he is midseason. Because he commands the yeah. ball, because his shot profile is unconventional in today's day and age. And to be clear, I'm not even critiquing him for the shot profile because he has found a way to make it work. He gets to the line all the time. He has turned himself into a fantastic mid-range shooter. He, he is an efficient player. It's just that the shot profile is not of something that you're going to teach. So now all of a sudden when you get DeMar, you have to realign your offensive ecosystem and maybe your defensive ecosystem because he's not a defensive minded player. And that can be hard to do in the middle of a season when everyone's got their groove and everybody knows their roles and all that kind of stuff where it's easier to do when you have an off season, you can map out a whole offense that's going to include him and you can work on it through training camp and preseason and figure out how to do it. And I think that's something that a lot of teams consider when they talk about trading for DeMar in the middle of a year, as opposed to over an off season, he's unrestricted coming up. I guess it's possible the Bulls just hold on to him and re-sign him and trudge forward. It it's a weird situation. What can I say one quick Bulls thing before we wrap? Of course. Yeah. Props to Kobe White. My goodness. <clears throat> yeah. How I I think he should be in the MIP conversation. He he, yeah, he has is. my goodness, how much better has that guy gotten? Since November 22nd, he's averaging 23, 5, and 6. He's taking eight threes a game and shooting like 42, 43% on those. His, his efficiency numbers are absolutely through the roof. He's playing winning basketball. Like the bulls are sneakily on a nice run. All that winning they've done without Zach Levine. Well, it it's happening in part because Kobe white has been amazing. He's, he's really become one hell of a player. And by the way, on that contract, three years, 33 million, that what a steal, like, Kobe White's career could have gone either way. He could have just been this microwave bench scorer who didn't really give you much else. And now all of a sudden he has transformed into a very good starting guard and clearly, clearly worked his ass off. He totally changed his game and he is such a good player is still really young. Uh, he He's going to have, he might end up with a hell of a career. You do wonder my final Bulls thought there, and I wish we had our guy Darnell Mayberry on here to break it down because he covers the Bulls and so close to him. You wonder, like Fred, you mentioned DeMar is unrestricted. Kobe White is emerging, rising. Um, there was a fascinating moment in that game I mentioned against Minnesota where they, you know, I think Bulls call timeout. They got time to figure out what they want to do at the end of regulation. And the Bulls uh, commentators talked about how they were, you know, speculating. Like, well, you know, you, of course you got DeMar DeRozan, but is this a pass the torch moment? Kobe White is cooking. Like, is this is this call going to Kobe White? And when they said it, I thought it was fascinating because when you put yourself out there from a commentary standpoint before the play, you run the risk of, of having it go completely the other way. And in fact, that's what happened. DeMar got the call. Um, I wonder how, you know, for Billy Donovan and the front office and that whole group, you know, moments like that where is Kobe White been so good 
that you, I mean, listen, with Zach Levine out, I know like you're, you've already lost firepower. So it's not like Kobe's going to carry the entire squad. Um, but it does feel like, you know, his emergence could force, you know, certain yeah. decision. Huge game last night in the comeback over Minnesota, 33 in that one. Like he's down 23. Yeah, like he, he, he is playing amazing basketball. The bulls should be investing. They've already invested a, another contract in him, which is, if this is the player that he is, that is one of the most team-friendly contracts in the league, three for 33, who a guy's going to give you an efficient 22, five and six is unbelievable. That's less than the mid-level. Like that's unbelievable value. Right. Uh, and you've already got the financial investment in him. Like you got to give him the resource investment too, because he has been really good. You got to see, you got to see everything that you have with him and give him every opportunity to succeed. He's, he's showing that he deserves it. Good stuff, gentlemen. Slater, you got anything else? No, I was going to say, I got an East Coast game to cover tonight. I yeah, mean, I love this go. Kobe White talk, but, but it's, <laughs> it's, about, it's about time, boys. It's about time. All right. Happy trade deadline week, everybody. Uh, by the time next week rolls around, hopefully we'll be unpacking a few more moves. Uh, make sure you keep listening to the Athletic NBO Show stream to, uh, to, to figure out what the hell is happening on Thursday morning, and we will be back with you next week. Thank you.